The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to recover after their worst day in more than two years as futures point to at least some relief. Technology stocks get walloped as some of the biggest names in the market lose more than half a trillion, with a T, dollars in a single day. All of this after yesterday's hotter-than-expected inflation report. But President Biden says he's not concerned about rising prices or the stock market. Plus, a rocky few hours for crypto ahead of that long-awaited Ethereum network merge a possible game changer for the second largest crypto asset out there. And then later on, getting technical. Fair leads Katie Stockton is here with a closer look at yesterday's historic sell-off and if the worst is yet to come. It is Wednesday, September 14, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan. Right now, let's kick off your Wednesday morning with a check on U.S. futures. Very much in focus. You can see the Dow Jones implied higher by just about 150 points. The S&P by 22 and the Nasdaq up by 80. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it's something green. This after his an historic sell off for the markets yesterday on the heels of that hotter than expected August inflation report. The Dow falling more than 1,200 points, or nearly 4%, for its single worst session since June of 2020. It's, by the way, its seventh largest point loss ever. Worse still for the broader S&P 500, falling more than 4% on the day, snapping a four-session win streak, and seeing its fifth largest point drop in history. It gets even worse and uglier for the Nasdaq coming off more than 5% in terms of losses, its worst day since June of 2020. And then the Russell 2000 small caps also coming off a sharply lower session, closing down nearly 4% for the worst day since, you'll get a theme here, June of 2020. All of this ahead of the open, right? All 11 S&P sectors are more than, by the way, 10% below their 52-week high closes with the exception of utilities, communication services, consumer discretionary, and technology leading the losses, all more than 20% below their most recent 52-week highs. Watching Treasuries now as well, the yields very much in focus. You can see here two-year Treasury note yields, a hair below 3.77%. The benchmark 10-year note yield now 3.437%. The number you want to watch is roughly 3.48%. That was the cycle high. Now, the two-year note yield, by the way, is currently trading near its highest level since 2007 when it yielded as high as 3.8%. 
In the crude oil markets, U.S. benchmark West Texas intermediate prices are showing up with some losses today, just about flat on the session, seven cents to the downside, $87.25. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures, $93.04, or about one-tenth of one percent declines. And I mentioned cryptocurrencies earlier. Within that realm, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether prices on the move. Sharp sell-off yesterday tied to that broader risk aversion trade. But Bitcoin price is now currently 20358 half of 1% gains there. Ether prices a hair above 1600 per token, up about one quarter of 1%. Now, around the world, red arrows in Asia overnight, and Europe has a rough early start going on. Let's send it out to our, Jumana, our Juliana Tattlebaum standing by in our Luna newsroom with the latest. Juliana, good morning. Hey, Dom, good morning. Well, as for Asian trade, investors are really taking their cue from Wall Street in the sell-off you saw yesterday stateside. So the Nikkei 225 in Japan pulling back nearly 3% overnight. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong down 2.5%. In Japan, we saw the yen bounce off a 24-year low amid reports that the Bank of Japan could be preparing for some currency intervention. In China and the mainland, interestingly, some resilience there. The Shanghai Composite dropping just eight-tenths of a percent, so a more resilient performance than we saw elsewhere. As for Europe, you're absolutely right, Don. We did get off to a rocky start, but a little bit of um, a stabilization coming through now. You've got the FTSE MIB over in Italy, bouncing about 0.7% this morning, a bit of green for the Spanish market as well. The Zetra DAX down two-tenths of a percent. We've all been listening to the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. She delivered a State of the Union this morning in which she said that the European Union will more more aggressively tackle the energy crisis, proposing a cap on revenues at low-cost electricity providers and also uh, asking for a contribution from those fossil fuel producers who have been making huge profits amid the spike in natural gas prices. They didn't go so far as announcing any cap on the price of natural gas, but that is under discussion. Perhaps that's providing a little bit of support for sentiment in Europe. We've got FTSE 100 trading lower to the tune of about seven-tenths of a percent. Swiss market also trading in the red this morning, down about four-tenths of a percent. Dom, back over to you. Juliana Tattlebaum, live in London with the latest on the market moves there. Thank you very much. Let's now try to make sense of what we saw in the markets here on the home front yesterday and bring in Craig Hodges, chief investment officer and portfolio manager at Hodges Capital Management. Uh, Craig, you manage money for a living and you do so tilted a lot towards some of those smaller cap companies out there. Just take us through what your thoughts were as you watched that closing bell come to fruition. How many fears and anxieties as a small cap manager really came to fruition, given what we saw yesterday with the inflation numbers? You know, I wouldn't say it was overly, you know, dramatic yesterday. I've been in 35 years, been through through several several of those types of of sell offs. Uh, I think kind of what happened is people are looking for that pivot. From the Fed, they're looking for some sort of sign that this, this aggressive interest rate rising is, is going to come to an end. And I think people had positioned that maybe we would get something with the CPI data yesterday. Obviously, it's not appearing yet. Obviously, there's going to be a lag, or there is a lag in the data. So, um, you know, we're going to stay invested. You know, that's our job. We still see tremendous opportunities. Anytime you see this big of a sell-off. There are opportunities. And, you know, the, these are the markets where we make our big money. It's just you don't realize it yet. So so we're, you know, like I said, we've been through this before. 
Um, we're, you know, half glass, half full type type investors here at Hodges Capital. So uh, we're going to stay the course. So, so, Craig, you mentioned these are opportunities. So if these are opportunities, where would then are? First of all, are you deploying capital excess cash? And if so, where is it going? Yeah, our favorite area is the energy space. You know, obviously, the with what what you're seeing in energy, the the you know the the, the high prices and the inflationary things. Uh, energy is very very underinvested, and there's a new kind of a you know a new attitude with 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 you know the, the companies that are that are allocating capital. They're not they're they're not investing as much. They're t- bringing most of that money to shareholders. Um, so energy would be our favorite, but in an in inflationary environment, you want to own things like energy, uh, materials, uh, commodity type, uh, industrial type names. So that's the areas that we see, um, you know, that, that have the opportunity. And, you know, let's, let's not forget, you know, everything looks pretty tragic like yesterday, but we still have a, a you know, full employment, uh, wages are going up. You know, you, you rarely see catastrophe type markets when you have this strong of a backdrop. So I, I would I would just kind of remind investors that, uh, you know, and, and if you stay fully invested since World War II, uh, the rate of return you would have gotten, it would be in the upper 9%. Well, if you miss the best 10 days uh, in, in that time period, your your rate of return would be cut in half. It'd be about five point four percent over that over that time period, you know, annually. So you you know the key is staying invested and you know taking the good with the bad. And there's more good than bad. All right. So if there's more good than bad, I, I mean, if you are a stock market investor, you have to be somewhat optimistic, right? You have to believe that at some yes. point in the coming days, weeks, months, years, it will be better than it is today. That's the whole idea of being in the stock market. And the whole idea of growing an economy as a country. So, if that is if that optimism is in play right now, there have to be specific spots in the market that seem more attractive than others. You, you, you mentioned energy is one. Are there specific companies, stocks that you think stand out in this kind of environment that are on your shopping list? Uh, yeah, uh, Chesapeake Energy would probably be our favorite. Chesapeake's got a terrible reputation long term. They used to have the worst balance sheet in the industry. Now they have one of the best. Of course, they're in the natural gas uh, business, which we feel like natural gas will be the best part of, you know, I think both sides of the aisle probably realize that natural gas is going to be a great bridge fuel. And as we come into the midterms, I think you'll probably hear a lot about natural gas. But here's Chesapeake with only about a $12 billion market cap. But over the next five years, they're going to return $14 billion in free cash flow. That's tremendous. The stock trades about three times EBITDA. Uh, insiders are buying stock. Um, so uh, I think Chesapeake's very misunderstood, but I think we're in the very, very early innings of a of substantial, substantial move there in Chesapeake. All right. Craig Hodges, thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, more on that market sell-off in the trading day ahead, plus Twitter shareholders having their say on the Elon Musk $44 billion takeover bid amid his push to scrap that deal. And ARK Invest Kathy Wood sounding the alarm on deflation. Yes, deflation, not inflation. Her comments are coming up ahead. And then later on, the White House looks to put together an emergency plan amid a looming, potentially crippling railroad strike. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. 
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It was not all doom and gloom for stocks yesterday. Agricultural chemical-related names like Corteva, CF Industries, and Mosaic were among just five S&P 500 stocks that finished yesterday in positive territory. All three, by the way, are still some of the best performers in the S&P 500 so far this year, up at least 30 percent apiece. Albemarle was also an S&P gainer as several several lithium related stocks outperformed as well. And by the way, that stock, Albemarle, up about 43 percent just this quarter. Let's get a check now on some of the morning's top stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Twitter shareholders deciding to hold Elon Musk to his $44 billion bid to buy the company. Shareholders voting overwhelmingly in favor of the offer. The vote just coming days after Musk's latest effort to scrap the deal, citing severance payments made to the company's whistleblower. The case between Musk and Twitter is scheduled to go on trial on October 17th. Kathy Wood is reiterating her view that deflation is on the horizon. Speaking in a webcast, the ARK Invest CEO warned the Federal Reserve is making a mistake with its aggressive rate hike policy. Wood suggesting a number of leading indicators are signaling inflation may have already peaked and the likes of Elon Musk and investor Jeffrey Gunlock appear to agree with her deflation call. And the average rate on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage hovering at 14-year highs. That figure back up to 6.28% retesting June highs. The move coming as Bonniel's jump on the back of Tuesday's CPI number, Dom. Much, Silvana Hinao. Back to the markets now, diving into the action around Tuesday's sell-off. Let's start now with the 10-year Treasury note yield. Silvana just mentioned some of those mortgage rates tied to the 10-year note yield. Right now, at just a hair below 3.45%, we are just about three basis points or three hundredths of a percent below the cycle highs that we saw earlier this year. Remember here, it was just around 3.48%. So as these moves have gone higher over the medium term, you can see just how much the markets have reacted to those. The center point for a lot of investor concern right now is the interest rate picture. Now, If you take a look at how that interest rate picture is playing out in the stock market, many of the biggest names that took the biggest hits in yesterday's market were growth-oriented technology or communication services names, ones that tend to be more sensitive from a valuation perspective to some of those interest rate hikes. Remember, the higher risk-free rate goes for Treasury yields and whatnot, the more money you get for risk-free returns, 
the less attractive some of these stocks become. Look at NVIDIA, Meta Platforms, and Alphabet. On a one-year basis, they've lost anywhere from a quarter to more than half their value. But it was just in like the last couple of months here as interest rates really started to play out that you saw moves by NVIDIA, Meta, and Alphabet, by the way, towards within anywhere from 1% to 3 or 4% from their 52-week lows. Again, these three companies, a handful of the mega caps, near their 52-week lows in yesterday's trade. And then, remember, let's put it in context. Stock market volatility was extreme yesterday. We took you through the superlatives. Worst day in many cases since June of 2020. But it wasn't all that bad compared to where it has been even this year. Remember, in the weeks just after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we got up towards near 40 on the VIX overall on an intraday basis. And back during the pandemic lows on an intraday, it was up above 80. So things, yes, were volatile yesterday, but they could be a heck of a lot worse. Keep that in mind when you talk about the market volatility that we saw. Well, still on deck for the show, more on the market's latest sell-off and technology getting wrecked, as we just mentioned. Arate's Richard Kramer lays out why more pain may be ahead for that beleaguered sector. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. We've got a market flash right now on shares of Alphabet. One of Europe's highest courts is largely upholding the EU's biggest ever antitrust fine. Regulators issued a $4.4 billion penalty against Google in 2018 over its Android mobile operating software. They determined the company broke antitrust rules by requiring smartphone makers to include a bundle of Google apps. The court reduced the fine slightly to $4.1 billion. Those shares, by the way, up about three quarters of one percent in the pre-market trade after getting hit yesterday. Now, the celebration for Queen Elizabeth II set to continue today. A silent procession featuring the Queen's family members set to bring her coffin from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall, where she will lie in state ahead of Monday's funeral service. Thousands of mourners are expected to line the streets to pay their respects to the late Queen. Tanya Breyer joins us now from London with more on what to expect from today's proceedings. Tanya. Good morning, Dominic. That's right. The Queen's coffin is actually lying in rest behind here in Buckingham Palace in the Bow Room. At 14.22, exactly British summer time, the coffin will be put on a gun carriage and proceed down the mall. And behind will be King Charles III, supported by his sons, Prince William and Prince Harry, and the rest of the royal family. The Queen Consort Camilla, with the Princess of Wales, Catherine, Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, and also Sophie, the Countess of Wessex, will accompany them by car. 
38-minute walk behind the coffin. It will then arrive at Westminster Hall, the thousand-year-old hall where the Queen will lie in state for four days. At 5 p.m. this afternoon, it will open the doors to the public who are lining up in their thousands. They're at the approximately, there's a 10-hour queue at the moment. For the next four days, the public will go and pay their respects to the late Queen Elizabeth II. And of course, on Monday, will be the state funeral. All right, Tanya Bryant with the latest there on the Queen. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Let's get a check on more of this morning's other top headlines outside of your markets and your money. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest there. Good morning, Francis. Dom, good morning. We are following breaking news on the campus of Northeastern University in Boston, where police say a 45-year-old man suffered injuries to his hand after a package exploded. Officials said the package was delivered around 7.15 p.m. and detonated when the staff member opened it. Boston Police Bomb Squad said they located a second package on the campus and they found it to be safe. University police have declared the campus secure. An FBI spokesperson confirmed its Boston division is helping in the investigation. California firefighters are battling two infernos threatening areas northeast of Sacramento. Burning now for nearly a week, the Mosquito Fire has forced thousands to leave their homes in El Dorado and Placer counties. Cal Fire reports that over 57,000 acres are torched with a quarter of the blaze contained. Nearby officials have reopened parts of I-80 and lifted evacuation orders caused by yesterday's Dutch Flat Fire, which is now over 30 percent contained. Overnight, three states held their last round of primaries before the November midterm elections. The most closely watched, the Republican showdown for New Hampshire's Senate seat. Retired Army Brigadier Don Bulldog is leading the more moderate Chuck Morris in a contest that's too close to call. Former President Trump has not made an endorsement in the race, but Bulldog has embraced the lie that 2020 election was stolen. Chuck Morris is the state Senate president and has the backing of Governor Chris Sununu. Meanwhile, President Biden and the First Lady flew to Delaware last minute to cast votes in the state auditor race. The president was asked why he didn't vote absentee, but he did not give an answer. Those are your headlines for this morning, Don. We send it back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Francis Rivera. Still on deck for the show. Much more on the trading day ahead following Tuesday's sell-off, including new comments from President Biden on why he's not worried about continued inflation or with the market reaction. And by the way, if you haven't already done so, please follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple or Spotify or your podcast app of choice. Worldwide Exchange in audio format. We'll be right back. Stocks fighting to regain some ground after suffering their worst day in more than two years. Futures right now looking at small gains. Tech gets wrecked once again amid the broad sell-off with some of the biggest names shedding half a trillion dollars in market value. Arite's Richard Kramer helps make sense of the dramatic drops and whether more pain may be on the way. And cryptocurrency is not immune to price pressures as Ether prepares to undertake a long-awaited merge to a new operating model. It's Wednesday, September 14th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Wednesday morning. Let's kick off this half hour with U.S. stock futures pointing towards modest gains 
at the opening bell. Try to figure out what's going on with the Dow Jones implied higher by 170 points, the S&P higher by 25, and the Nasdaq implied higher by roughly 90 points. Investors are trying to pick up the pieces after yesterday's historic sell-off. The Dow seeing its seventh largest single-day point drop in history. The S&P seeing its fifth largest point loss in history. And all of this on the heels of that hotter-than-expected inflation report, one that all but guarantees the Fed will raise interest rates by three-quarters of 1% or 75 basis points at next week's meeting. And now growing speculation over the possibility, by the way, of a full 1% or 100 basis point, 100 basis point hike. Check out the odds right now. Latest ones, courtesy of the CME Group, it's roughly a 68% chance that we'll see a target rate of three to three and a quarter percent, and then a 32% chance of three and a quarter to three and a half percent. So the next Fed rate move very much driven by that CPI print. Now, yesterday, investors were still pricing in a 12% chance of a 50 basis point or half a percent hike. But while investors appear worried about rising prices and falling stock markets, the White House appears unfazed. Here is President Biden speaking with reporters in Delaware just yesterday evening. The stock market doesn't necessarily reflect the state of the economy, as you well know. And the economy is still strong. Unemployment's low, jobs are up, manufacturing's good, so I think it's. Uh, I think we're going to be fine. Are you worried about the inflation number, though, sir? No, I'm not, because we're talking about one tenth of one percent, and you know. Anyway, thank you. All right, that was President Biden. A quick check on Treasuries right now. This morning, rates right now ticking slightly higher. The ten-year note yield a little below three point four four percent. The two-year Treasury note yield a little above. 3.77% in the long bond, the 30-year, 3.518%. Turning now to technology, the sector coming off a crushing day with the six largest U.S. tech companies losing more than $500 billion in market value yesterday. Now, the names that we are watching, Apple falling 6% yesterday, its steepest drop since September of 2020. $155 billion in market value wiped out. Microsoft closing down 5.5%. That's $109 billion gone. And its steepest drop since September of 2020. Alphabet down 6% on the day. The steepest drop since March of 2020, $85 billion in market value gone. Same stories for the likes of Amazon, Facebook parent meta company, and NVIDIA as well. You can see here just billions and billions shaved off the market values there. So let's dig through all the rubble in tech and comm services. Joining me now is Arite Research's co-founder and senior analyst, Richard Kramer. Richard, the likes of this technology trade have been volatile now for years whenever there is a downturn, but they've also led to the upside. Technology is a favorite sector among investors. Should it remain that way? Well, I think technology broadly is going to remain a favorite sector among investors. But what we're seeing is really a separation of the wheat from the chaff. Now, a lot of those companies that you just put up on your chart are actually, I think, in much better shape than people give them credit for. The likes of an Apple, a Microsoft or Google are all in the position where they have a large cash pile and are buying back their own stock. And those are the companies that I think we'll take proactive action, we'll know how to restrict their cost bases, as we saw during the pandemic, and they'll be fine. What I'd be worried about is the long list of less 
uh, able companies with less seasoned management, many of which were brought by the by the banks in IPOs in the past uh, two years. And a lot of those companies are going to get wiped out because a huge increase in their cost of capital uh, for companies that don't generate cash can turn out to be fatal. Richard, is that the case that you're making, that that balance sheet strength, the ability to weather a possible economic downturn is what should go on your factor list when you're shopping for for tech stocks and, and communication services? And if so, does that really just then only include mega caps that are making money or are profitable or have positive cash flow? Look, there are, you know, I don't want to draw a line based on the market cap level, but, and you, and I wouldn't just look at these large tech stocks because you see other ones in software, you see other ones in telecom services. Uh, you look at a company like T-Mobile US, which is, has been taking market share and has just announced a big buyback of its own. So I think there are managements all over the place that, that understand that it's not a hiring freeze that's needed. It's steep headcount cuts. They will have to contend with a range of rising costs. And what I'm saying is that what we've seen in the past couple of years is a rush to market by literally hundreds of companies pushed out by by the banks with perpetually bullish analysts. And these companies haven't proven that they can manage through downturns. I think a lot of these mega caps, they got to be mega caps because they've managed through turbulent times, you know, multiple uh, through multiple cycles. Now, I mentioned before, and I had tweeted out yesterday, we had run screens with regard to many of the mega cap and, and, and blue chip, if you will, well-known technology media type names that are sitting at or very near 52-week lows at the very least at this stage. Is it maybe okay to start dipping your toe into buying some of these names, or could we see even more downside ahead given the rate outlook for the Fed? Look, I think right now it's a game with the mega caps of relative performance. And I think I came on CNBC a couple of months ago and I told you, you know, we're only halfway through this bear market. We had a huge bear market rally in the summer, but typically these bear markets last seven, eight hundred days. And back to November last year, we're sort of only part the way through this this effort. I think the difficult thing is to take all of these other noisy companies out of the market and allow the ones that are going to going to make it through to 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 become good investments again. So I wouldn't suggest that uh, people start buying blindly after a a huge uh, dip like this, because I think there's still a lot of estimate downside. And remember, you've got all those banks out there with buy ratings on all these companies, and they're going to have to start rethinking their perpetual bullishness when the companies start admitting that their estimates are going to come down and you start to see profit warnings from some of the weaker, smaller companies. Richard, before we let you go, you cover a lot of ground with regard to your work at Arite Research. Can you take us through a couple of your favorite picks? Where should you go that are the best ideas and what kind of companies or stocks would you stay away from? Well, look, uh, the, the, the ones that you'd stay away from are fairly easy. And we have lo- a long list of sell recommendations, which we're not ashamed to, to put out there. We don't mind if, uh, if we have a negative relationship with the company because, or they get upset because we're, we're calling out where we think there's material weaknesses in the business. But if you look in the telecom space, we like a stock like T-Mobile U.S., there's a number of names in the semi-space we like because of the huge barriers to entry. I mean, all roads still lead through TSMC globally. 
Uh, we just hosted a call yesterday with Analog Devices. That's a very stable company. Uh, you can look at to own through uh, through cycles. Uh, in the internet and, and digital consumer space, we still like Apple and Google. They are companies that are buying back huge uh, amounts of their stock. And there are even some higher flying companies uh, in the software space that we like because of how strong their technology position is, whether it's a company like Snowflake or Atlassian. We think those companies will be fine in the end alongside Microsoft because, let's face it, uh, they're not going to get uh, torn out of the, the billion, millions and millions of enterprises that they're, they're embedded in over the next uh, few years. All right. Top picks from Richard Kramer, Arite Research. Thank you very much. It's not just equities. Crypto also coming off what was a wild day of trading yesterday with Bitcoin falling to its lowest level since mid-June. Ether seeing its worst day since late August. And this is all ahead of that long-awaited upgrade to the Ethereum network known as the so-called merge, set to improve transaction efficiency and drastically lower the crypto coin's carbon footprint as well, the energy it takes to mine those coins and tokens. Just about 20 hours until, by the way, it goes live. Joining me now, CNBC technology reporter covering all things crypto, Mackenzie Sagalos. Also with me, JMP Securities Analyst, Devin Ryan, covering stocks in that space in industry like Coinbase and Robinhood, amongst others. Mac, Devin, good morning to you both. And Mac, I'd like to start with you first. I guess I'm looking for still in a simple layman's term way of understanding what the merge is in the Ethereum network. Can you take us through why it's important? So good morning, Dom. And what's happening tonight is that roughly at midnight on the East Coast, Ethereum is going to change the way that it secures its network and verifies transactions. Right now, Bitcoin and Ethereum each have their own vast network of miners all over the planet running highly specialized computers that are crunching math equations in order to validate transactions. It's called proof of work. It uses a ton of energy, and it's one of the biggest critiques of the industry overall. But after tonight's upgrade, Ethereum will migrate to a system known as proof of stake. This model swaps out miners for validators, and these validators are not running large banks of computers at data centers in Texas. Instead, what they're doing, Dom, is that they're staking their Ether tokens, essentially locking them up. And by doing that, it gives them the right to validate blocks of transactions. The top line here, as you said, the total energy use of the Ethereum blockchain is expected to drop by more than 99%. I will say this, if the merge is a wild success, I'm told that users won't be able to tell that anything has changed. Ethereum won't become faster, cheaper, or more scalable after the merge, at least not yet. Mac, can I stay with you for a second here? So in, in essence, I, I'm not asking you to make a call on which is better, which which blockchain is better, which which coin or token is better. But what what does this do for Ethereum as a as a network, as a as a as a construct for blockchain transactions in the future? Does it make it relatively more or less attractive than, say, other networks out there? Well, it certainly puts to rest a lot of the uh, arguments that these Ethereum killers, uh, Solana and Avalanche, some of these rival blockchains, will eclipse Ethereum. Because even though we won't immediately see cheaper transactions or a blockchain that moves uh, that moves faster than it does right now, it does set the path. It sets Ethereum on the path for those upgrades. And remember, Ethereum has really set itself apart as more of an operating system for the industry. So the vast majority of apps are built on top of Ethereum. And so this upgrade is a big deal, not just for this one blockchain, but really for the sector overall, Dom. 
All right. So for the sector overall, that's where we bring in Devin Ryan here. Devin, this is something that has been talked about for quite some time. There's been a lot of enthusiasm built into it. And for that reason, Ethereum prices over the more medium term have outperformed Bitcoin prices. I wonder, though, given what we saw yesterday in terms of the massive risk aversion trade that hit not just stocks, but crypto as well. Is this enough to reignite some of the, I guess, enthusiasm for cryptocurrencies enough so that the industry stands to benefit? Hey, good morning, Dom. Well, first off, I think Mackenzie hit the nail on the head. You know, this is uh, a process. So this is critical uh, to getting the foundation right for Ethereum. And I think over the long term is a very big deal. Um, in the near term, um, there, there's a lot of things that still don't change and, um, and, and we'll need to over you know, the coming years to really, we think, propel um, Ethereum to be what I think its potential will be. So this is one kind of step. Um, in terms of the industry, you know, the opportunity for firms like Coinbase or Robinhood, you know, they are correlated to growth in adoption and just asset prices, right? So over the long term, um, if this makes Ethereum a better platform, a better base layer to build off of, that means there's going to be more development on it and likely uh, more layer two applications and, and, and therefore uh, greater market value in the ecosystem. So that's good you know, over, the, over the bigger picture. Over the more intermediate term, um, as you move to proof of stake, um, firms like Coinbase offer staking services. And so you know, they have about $25 billion of Ethereum custodied on their platform today. That's you know, 12% of the market cap. That's our estimate. But um, that's a large percentage of Ethereum's market value sitting on Coinbase. And so to the extent Coinbase users are interested in generating uh, rewards, you know, staking their Ethereum, Coinbase can earn a spread on that. And we estimate that can equal hundreds of millions of dollars over the intermediate term. So there really is a real revenue opportunity. Um, but we're talking about it doesn't all happen on day one. This is a process we're looking at over the next year to two years. Um, but to take a step back, you have to get the foundation right before you can build a house that's going to stand for 100 years. And so that's the way you know, we're thinking about this. It's a critical step, but it is one step of numerous that will have to happen for the industry. Devin, let's play a little scenario hypothetical analysis here. Let, let's, let's say, let's just assume that cryptocurrency prices hypothetically go lower from here. Are these companies, Coinbase and Robinhood, Companies that have a strong enough balance sheet or the ability to raise capital effectively enough to weather downturns when there is possibly a downturn in the overall crypto market? It's a great question. I think a question every investor should be asking about all you know, fintech and tech stocks. And uh, when I look at those two uh, specifically, one of the reasons that we like them, not just in near term, because the near term is very uncertain, but long term is because we think they will be winners because of the capacity and strength of their balance sheets. Um, and, and we don't see uh, need to raise capital. If anything, your Robinhood is uh, right on the verge, if not already cash flow positive. So they really took some hard steps, made some headcount reductions um, over the last few months here. On the flip side, you know, they're going to benefit quite a bit from higher interest rates. So they have six billion dollars of cash, uh, but but are moving into cash flow positive. So. Uh, that's going to be a catalyst for them, in our opinion. And then Coinbase has uh, five, six billion dollars of cash as well, uh, with a lot of liquidity. And so they're operating at a modest loss 
um, almost intentionally to grow their business. We think that they could tighten that even further um, if the uh, price, is to your point, Dom, uh, take, a, take another drop from here. So no doubt it's a difficult operating environment at the moment, but those are two firms that we're not worried about in terms of uh, balance sheet strength and ability to weather what could be you know, still an extended period of, of choppy uh, backdrop. JMP Securities, Devin Ryan, also CNBC's own Mackenzie Segalos. Thank you both very much. As we head out to break, some of this morning's top corporate stories, the Biden administration is preparing for a potentially massive strike by railroad workers in this country. The White House has been mapping out contingency plans to keep key goods moving and transportation lines open if unions representing rail workers and their employees are not able to reach a labor deal by Friday with the employers. Amazon set to face its latest test in the push by unions to employees to unionize. Rather, an election is scheduled to be held at one of the e-commerce giants facilities in upstate New York next month. This would follow the successful union bid in one of Amazon's New York City area facilities earlier this year. And then Apple is planning to put ads in its app store in the coming months, according to a message seen by developers by CNBC. The plan is expected to begin as soon as the holiday season. The move marks a significant expansion for Apple's advertising arm, something to keep an eye on for revenue streams at America's biggest company. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. All right, right now, futures pointing to some gains at the opening bell, fractional, but maybe a little bit of stability is okay at this point here. The Dow implied higher by roughly half of 1%, same with the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 right now. Also watch the mega cap technology trade. Remember, these stocks had billions and billions shaved off their market values in yesterday's trade. Right now, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Alphabet, and Tesla all up fractionally close to 1% gains for Microsoft. On deck for the show, Fairlead's Katie Stockton lays out the technical signal she's seeing amid the market's latest route and whether stocks can pull out of this nosedive. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Let's dive into how the day is shaping up for the markets and technical signals from Tuesday's sell-off. Katie Stockton is here, founder and managing partner at Fairlead Strategies, one of our technical experts that we have regularly on CNBC Air here. Uh, Katie, I wonder, maybe a broad macro question for you right off the bat. Was there any technical damage, so to speak, done to the market? Honestly, the damage was already done before yesterday's decline. We have negative long-term momentum behind the market, weakened intermediate-term momentum. And then yesterday was really more of a short-term event. We're obviously above the recent lows. So there was no kind of breakdown yesterday, per se, but there was deterioration in the short-term trend-following gauges. And that does increase the likelihood that we'll see support levels that we've been watching tested here in the near term. As you know, the uh, September month of September does not hold uh, the best seasonal influences. So I think here we are with that kind of weakness and market psychology. And Katie, I, I guess, I mean, this is very elementary of me because I'm not a technical analyst, but I, I do follow a number of them like yourself. Is it as simple as saying we retest the lows that we saw in June? Is that the level that we're looking at right now for the S&P, the Dow and the NASDAQ? You know, for me, the June lows were actually a successful test of these long term support levels derived from Fibonacci retracements. Those are common ways to try to understand where buying pressure might come in. And it did actually happen in June. 
The level that we're watching for the S&P 500 is about 38.15, just over 2.5% below. For the NASDAQ 100, it's just shy of 11,800, also around sort of 2, 2.5%, 3% below. Now, the catch is with these levels, secondary support levels based on that same methodology are closer to 10, 11% below. So these are really key long-term levels that we want to see hold. And by that, we're okay with them being penetrated on an intraday, even an intra-week basis. But if you were to see a couple of weekly closes solidly below those support levels, that would be a major breakdown in our work. So, so Katie, do, do I have this correct? It wouldn't be shocking then in your mind if we fell another 10, 11 percent from here and then you'd have to reevaluate at that point if you go deeper past those support levels to the downside. That's right. And we really have no way, of course, of knowing where this bear market cycle culminates or ends. We just use our indicators to try to help guide us and suggest when momentum is shifting to the upside. And we certainly do not have that. So our assumption is that we will see a lower relative low versus June from the major indices as this downtrend persists. And we also suspect that this downtrend is going to not culminate in dramatic fashion, meaning we won't get some kind of V bottom, but rather a series of retests of support. So I think patience is really dictated by the market's price action here. We do think that the 10, 11% support level is certainly realistic for this bear market cycle. Again, we don't have that crystal ball, unfortunately, but we will at least be able to keep an eye on our indicators, which at this time on an an intermediate term basis are not oversold as of yet. So at a very, very minimum before taking any kind of counter trend positions, we would want to see an oversold reading from the market. All right. Speaking of, so that's the the setup that many technical analysts look at, right? They, 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 They speak of the setups going into this. Are there any favorable setups in your mind right now, stock wise? Have you seen anything that looks good? given what happened yesterday? You know, uh, yeah, uh, yesterday was obviously damaging to just about every sector of the market. And yet we still favor energy and utilities as being the two sectors left that have upheld their long-term uptrends. We have seen a loss of long-term upside momentum behind the commodity complex. So we believe that some of them may have already entered trading range environments. But within that context, we are looking for an oversold bounce from commodity prices, including crude oil. And that should occur to the benefit of energy stocks counter to the rest of the market. All right. And, uh, and just before we let you go really quickly here, anything that you would just stay away completely from? Oh, well, cryptocurrencies have to be up there. I mean, there's a lot that we would stay away from in this marketplace, really risk assets broadly to the extent that we can and just would be hedging exposure. But cryptocurrencies, of course, on that risk spectrum run fairly high. And we saw that yesterday from Bitcoin with its decline. And of course, the downtrends there still have a hold. All right. Katie Stockton, always great to get your insights. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Markets are stable right now, and Squawk Box picks up the coverage coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 